I've lived around the cross for a lot of days now. Looked at it from every angle. So tonight we want to call us around the cross of Christ. So let's gather around the cross in spirit this evening. Matthew 27 and beginning to read at verse 33. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head this accusation written, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Keep your Bible open at that chapter for we're going to be there for all this service this evening. Let's pray. Father, just want to thank you for your great faithfulness. Just want to thank you for the ministry that we have had this evening and this morning, but this evening in your presence. Ministry of worship, ministry of music, ministry of voices raised to God. We ask you now, Lord, that you would just Help us all to see anew and afresh, to be gathered around the cross and to see, Lord, the things that happened in that day. Lord, would you, as it were, by faith, transport us even through your word. Transport us to that place and make it real. Make it real. Make it count tonight. Even for those who trust in you and have found their salvation there, whether it's Not so long ago or many years ago, we pray you just show us afresh. Just show us us. Show us afresh the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Oh, Jesus, we love and adore you. We worship you. There's no one like you. Father, if there's one who's come in that does not know him as their own Lord and their own personal Savior, we pray tonight even one who will listen online or watch whatever avenue you tend to use. We pray that you would reach them with your word and save them for time and eternity. For Jesus' name's sake we ask it and for his glory. Amen. Around the cross of Christ, and we're so used to looking at the cross, Sometimes a cross just becomes another item uh, that's in our agenda as Christians. But around the cross of Christ, there's so much that has happened that I wanted to have a look at if, as it were, through the Spirit, we can see from the eyes of Christ the people who were around the cross that day. We'll never be able to comprehend nor fathom nor understand the things that he took upon him. That was your sin and mind and our sicknesses and our shame. But one thing we can do is maybe we can see tonight the pain and the suffering, but also the mental anguish, the soul that was in travail. The very physical side is known by all, uh, as we can see it, and it's been portrayed in movies or films or on 
crucifixes, people have it as though it's a, some sort of beautiful, dainty thing, but this was a, brut- a brutal piece of torture, an implement of death. And Christ was nailed to it for you and me. I pray tonight that as we look at the cross, we will see, even as the, the sign did say, this is Jesus. This is him. You're Jesus and mine. You're Jesus who saved you by his grace, shedding his blood in mine. Fanny Crosby once wrote the words to a wonderful hymn, verse 3 of it. I've jotted it down, says, Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. A blind woman wanted to see the cross of Christ. And that blind woman through the spirit and even the listening, the hearing of the word of God was able to comprehend the things of the cross more than many men and women with 20-20 vision. Writing hundreds of hymns gathered around the cross of Christ. And so she says, near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. And that's what we want to do, to bring the scenes of the cross before us this evening, Isaac Watts once wrote, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such sinners such as I? And you think about it, that the Christ of God, the one who hung on the cross is God's only begotten Son, and yet he went the whole way. Not just to the cross, but the whole way to death itself. He allowed himself to die. He allowed himself to die, yet many Christians, we can't allow ourselves to die for the cause of Christ and to follow Christ. We can't allow the old man to die and the old woman to die. And he keeps popping up, she keeps popping up her head and and ruling over that which Christ has done for us and given us. And we're our own worst enemies at times. But here the Lord Jesus Christ allowed himself to die. He hung his head on a pulseless breast and he gave up the ghost. Notice, it wasn't taken from him. He gave up the ghost. Notice before we gather around this, Jesus was never a victim. That's important. You get that? He was never a victim. Even though they crucified him, he was never a victim. He was a willing sacrifice. He was a willing offering for our sin. He was never a victim. He was almighty God, always in charge, always in control. And that never left him, even as he hung on a cross, even his very last breath. Even his very last breath was down to his domain and in his power. People looked to the cross for, uh, as prophets did, they looked toward a coming Messiah, and even with a distorted view, maybe uh, saying that, not in the spirit, but you know, a distorted view where they, they look for a, a champion on a horse in that sense. They look for a, a, a rider in armor coming, but really God's plan throughout the ages was that a lamb would die. And many of the prophets seen that, and many looked for a Messiah, but the prophets through the spirit They saw this, and we want to look at some of the prophets. They looked toward the cross. And then you and I are looking back to the cross. Listen to what Revelation 19 and verse 10 tells us. 
It says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, the spirit of prophecy looks toward Jesus. And the spirit of prophecy looks for Jesus in everything. And the testimony of Jesus in us is the fulfillment of what the spirit of prophecy has said. Let me put it in layman's terms. The prophets saw him through the spirit. They waited and they went to their grave. But they died in faith believing that he would come. Christ came. Christ died. Christ rose again the third day. Christ bore our sins away. And now we have the testimony of Jesus, that which was prophesied of. You and I who are born of the Spirit, who are washed in the blood by faith in Christ, and we find that in that, you and I have the testimony of Christ within us. Listen to some of the Old Testament prophecies. Psalm 22 is known as the Psalm of the Cross. We have 22, we have 23, and we have Psalm 24. Psalm 22 is known as the Psalm of the Cross. Psalm 23 is known as the Psalm of the Crook. The Lord is my shepherd, the Crook. And Psalm 24 is known as the Psalm of the Crown. Whom is this King of Glory? Speaking of Christ and all his majestic beauty. And Psalm 22, the Psalm of the Cross, says many things about the cross, but notice what it says from verses 14 through to 17. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. One thousand years before Christ was born in Bethlehem, David was never pierced with his, through his hands and his feet. The writer of this psalm was never pierced through his hands and his feet. It never tells us in Scripture, nor is it heard of even in history. So this is David looking through the spirit of prophecy to the coming king. And notice, he sees the agonies that the the Lord Jesus is in, and he says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. In other words, the very strength of his heart is now melted like running wax right into his very kidneys. The depths of his being. So much is happening. He's bearing your sin and he's bearing my sin. He's taking our sin and our shame and our sufferings and our sorrows and our sicknesses upon him. And he's saying, I am melted like wax. Gives us an idea of the horrific nature of the cross. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. In other words, he is so parched. His tongue is like a broken piece of pottery that's been laid out 
in the sun for many, many weeks, months or years. So dry and so thirsty, so parched, yet he is the one who said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He's the fountain of all waters and of all living, yet he says, my strength is dried up in me. It's like a, a dried pot shirt and it's, my tongue is cleaving to the roof of my mouth. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked enclosed me. The, the dogs are the Roman soldiers, the Gentile Roman soldiers, and the assembly of the wicked were the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders. The Jewish leadership are, are the assembly of the wicked, as Christ calls them. They've all gathered around him, and David, he sees with the, the, the spirit of, of prophecy, testifying of Christ to come. I wonder what he thought whenever he's seen this. Did he understand more than we're even told in the scripture here? Did he see it and write it and understand a little? Was he going through the pangs of it and feeling it? Did the Spirit breathe it into him? And when he breathed it into him, did the Spirit let him experience just a little bit? And the problem is, if we don't experience just a little bit of what he did for us, then we don't appreciate all he has done for us. He says, they pierced my hands and my feet. David says, they've crucified my hands and my feet. In other words, when this was written 1,000 years before Christ even came, the piercing of the hands was done for crucifixion. But at this point in history, the piercing off the feet was never done. It hadn't happened. They never used piercing of feet at this time. But the spirit of prophecy said, they pierced my hands and my feet. Can you imagine the one who's speaking to David, the one who's giving him the word, is the one who would become flesh, the word of the living God. And he says, this is what they'll do to me. I tell on my bones, in other words, the emaciated look of a battered person, and the bones protruding through the skin as he stretched upon the Roman gibbet. They tell or they can count my bones. They've stretched me out to make sure I'm well and truly crucified. Don't try to tell me this word is not inspired. Don't try to tell me that God is not the author. For he alone spoke of himself that would come. His beloved son hanging on a cross. Listen to Zechariah, another prophet. Zechariah 12 and verse 10. The Lord says, I will pour upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now the house of David was the family of David. And the family of David weren't there at this time. But really, they're alluding here to the tribe of Judah, or the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, those who lived especially, he's lifting up the city of the great king. The city of God, it's sat on a hill. And he says, I'm going to pour grace upon it. And many tell us that this is to come in the future, that this has not yet happened. But 
the Lord will uh, finish this uh, verse, as we call it off. Listen to what it says. The Spirit of, I will pour upon the house of David and the, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Now this is Yahweh speaking. This is Jehovah himself. He says, they shall look upon me. But you are the great eternal spirit. We can't even pronounce your name. How will we see you? He says, because I will be clothed in flesh. And I will manifest myself to you. So as I said, some say this is in the future because Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. So there is a literal fulfillment of the showing off the piercings of Christ at his glorious appearing, his second coming, which we believe should never be too long from now. But as the Lord says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. The spirit of grace and supplication was the preaching of grace when Christ walked the streets of Jerusalem, when Christ walked Judea, when he walked Galilee, when he walked even through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. This was the spirit of grace. The spirit of grace was as he hung upon the cross. They stood and they watched him there. We'll look at it in a moment. And they saw him stretched upon the cross. It's already happened. Look, if we don't believe that the spirit of grace wasn't poured out here for all men, then we have to believe then that God has a dual covenant theology, which he doesn't. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one salvation to be had. There's only one Savior. There's only one cross. There's only one payment for sin. There's only one ransom. And it was done at the cross of Calvary when Christ cried, It is finished! And it was paid in full. Your sin and mine, your debt and mine. And Christ has paid it all. And the Spirit of grace was poured out upon us. The Spirit of grace was poured out upon the house of Judah and Jerusalem, and they missed it. They missed it. Many missed it because they missed Christ. We'll show you in a moment. Listen to Zechariah again. Zechariah 13 and verse 1 says, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin for uncleanness. Can you tell me another fountain that is going to be opened but the blood of Jesus? Can you tell me with all honesty, even some of the, uh, the, the big mega churches in the States are now starting to say, there's going to be another offering for sin? How blasphemous it is that our blessed Lord and our glorious Christ was stretched upon the tree for us. And they'll say there's another method and there's another way and there'll be another fountain opened. There's only one. There's only one fountain for sin and uncleanness and it flows from Emmanuel's veins. It flows from Emmanuel's veins. 
In that day there shall be a fountain open to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Notice, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Some scholars would tell you, you can't apply that to Christ. Because you're talking about false prophets at this time in the scripture. So you can't apply that to Christ. Listen, they called him a false prophet. They're saying he's a false prophet. That he's not the son of God. That he's not deity clothed in humanity. But when they see him and the nail-pierced hands and feet, they will say, what are these? What are these wounds in thine hands? The term here too, by the way, for what are these wounds in thine hands means even between the bones, some say, what are the marks between the bones in your fingers or your hands? But another term says it means what are these Wounds in thine hands means from between one hand to the other hand. Battered, broken, bleeding, wounded, pierced. There was hardly a place on the body of Jesus that was not marred for my sin. And he made his soul an offering for that. His very own heart. Listen, his very own. His very own emotion and will and desire was offered up for you. Do you know the real you that's inside your body? Well, the dual nature of Christ will tell us something. The dual nature of Christ says he is man of very man, but he's very God of very God. And the dual nature of Christ says that he was wounded. But the dual nature of Christ says he offered up his soul for an offering of our sin. All that you would feel he felt, and all that would be upon you was taken upon to him. He put it upon himself and was stretched upon this tree. And we come so glibly and so feebly and so lacklusterly before the, even the table to break bread, and we wonder, why should we worship? We should worship because he is worthy. He's worthy. He is the pierced one. His back, his body, from hand to hand was marred and marked, and battered and bruised. He is the pierced one. The Lord Jesus was pierced on his brow when the thorns were driven into it. The Lord Jesus' hands were pierced and his feet were pierced with the nails. His side was pierced with a spear and his back was pierced by the Roman flagellum whip. Sewed into it was bone and lead. Which every time it whipped his back, it pulled out clumps of flesh and pierced right through the bone, between bone and bone. Even some victims, I'm told, as they were stretched over the whipping post, 
as it was retracted, that Roman lashed the flagellum, as it was whipped in with professionalism, it clawed right into the very flesh. And as it was pulled back in professionalism, even the very kidneys would come out the back. Our Savior did this for us. This is our Jesus. And the sign said, this is Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 53 and 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Listen, smitten of God? You know something? He died for our sins, yeah. He died for our sorrows, yeah, and our sicknesses and all those things, yeah, he did. But it was God who had him smitten. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Let me just tell you a little bit about the chastisement of our peace. Everything we have spoken of should have been done to you. And done to me. That was our chastisement. To bring peace. But you know, as I told you this morning, God looked throughout heaven and earth and he could find none worthy but his son. The chastisement of our peace, our peace was upon him. With the stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Listen, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or the Lord is Yahweh, hath laid on him Yahshua. Or the Father hath laid upon his son the iniquity of us all. Listen to what Isaiah 53 and verse 10 says. Yet it pleased the Lord, it pleased Yahweh to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Oh, the very feeling, the very sense of our sin upon the sinless one. Think about your greatest depth of depravity that you can even remember. And we cannot recall how much we have failed before him. But try to think just for a moment, one or two things, and then think of a lifetime of it, and think of a depraved nature. And you can't even help ourselves. We're on a downward slippery slope from the day we were born. Think about this. When we think about it, multiply it many, 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 multiple, numerous times. And he took that for every one of us. Think about your guilt. When you feel a pang of guilt sometimes for something you've done or said or somewhere you've been, think about the guilt of it. I It grieves the Spirit of God in you. I'm sorry, Lord. I think about it through men throughout eternity, all ages, right to eternity come. And Jesus took it all. 
his soul was made an offering for sin. In John chapter 19, in fact, Isaiah 52, rather, and verse 14, first one, the Lord cries, Behold my servant. Look at my servant, he cries through the prophet. And then in verse 14 of Isaiah 52, it says, And many were astonished or astonished at thee. His visage was marred more than any man. When you looked at him from hand to hand, from front to back, he was bleeding. He was battered. He was bruised. He was broken for us. In John 19 and 5, it says, Then came Jesus forth wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Now notice, behold the man. Here he has been beaten. They smote him with the palms of their hands. They beat him with reeds. They planted a crown of thorns upon him. He was whipped until the blood was lashing out of him. And Pilate brings him and he says, Behold the man. That's not the way it reads. This is the way the word behold reads. It's the word ide, and it means to see, to call to attention that it may be seen or heard, whether mentally apprehended in any way, sense, shape, or form. In other words, Pilate brings him out, and this specimen and spectacle of a human being stands there drenched in his own blood, and Pilate says to the baying crowd of Jewish people, he says, Behold the man! Look at him! Has he not had enough? Look at him. What say ye people? We will not have this man to reign over us. Crucify him. Crucify him. Has he not had enough? That's the idea of the Pilate. He's not walking out, you'd see in one of those Hollywood movies where he walks out in a little bit of blood out of a thorn and he's standing a little forlorn looking. Now man is a mess. His visage, his face was marred more than any of them. In other words, they gave him an extra measure of a beating. And they beat him until the Christ of God was a mess. Behold him. The father says, behold my servant. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, says Isaiah. And as a root out of a dry ground, he has no form nor comeliness, he says. In other words, no one will want to see him, yet he's the only living thing in the whole of the earth. He's the only beautiful and spotless one. And people will turn him away. Pilate says, look at him. Behold him. What a difference. Still turn him away. Pilate was saying, Can you, if I call your attention, can you mentally even apprehend what's happened to this man? Brother, sister, if we just take a moment to try and apprehend what has happened to him and all that he's done for us. Preacher Alexander McLaren, speaking on the spirit of prophecy and the testimony of Jesus, says the cross is the center of the world's history. The incarnation of Christ and the crucifixion of our Lord are the pivot around which all events of the ages revolve. 
the testimony of Christ was the spirit of prophecy and the growing power of Jesus is the spirit of history. He's the one who forms all history, who fulfills all prophecy, but he's the one who hung and bled and died for you and me. So, people around the cross Many or even most do not see the importance, neither do they recognize the significance. Here, this day, this place, this center cross, this man, this pierced one, is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He is the beloved Son of the Father, the Son of God. He's the one whom the Father cried, Behold my servant. And again the Father says, This man is my fellow. See him. I love him. It means my associate. I am associated with him. And to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ, give all the prophets witness. Matthew 27 states that there are different people around the cross. We want to look from the cross just for a few moments at the groups or the peoples that are around it. Matthew 27 and verse 36, please. He is crucified and it says, On sitting down, they watched him there. On sitting down, they watched him there. First, we have a few groups here. So the first one is sitting soldiers. Sitting soldiers. And sitting down, they watched him there. The word watched here is the word tereo. And it gives the idea to attend to something carefully, to guard and to take care of. So they weren't just saying, right, guys, let's just get the lemonade out and let's sit and have a wee yarn while we're up the hill. What they were doing was they were under strict instructions, never mind the thief on the left hand, never mind the thief on the right. He says, never mind them. See the one in the middle. You make sure he dies. Guard him with your own lives until he's dead. Let me give you an example of this word. Acts 12 and 5 says, when Peter was put in prison, it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And the word kept is the word, same word for watching. They sat watching. It's the word tereo. And it means Peter was put in the inner chambers. Peter had the gates closed, shut tight. Peter had the guards all around him. Peter was in the inner sanctum that he could never get out. And it's the idea of these soldiers done the same. They made sure that they were watching him. In fact, we're told in verse 35, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. In other words, what they were doing was, we're going to keep watch. What will we do, guys? Let's not get bored. I'll tell you what. See that beautiful garment that's no seam in it, that his mother had sewn for him? Let's just strike even further into his heart. Take it off, and we'll start gambling for it. Secondly, we have the two thieves. The two thieves. Verse 38 says, 
When there were, then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Two thieves. Isaiah 53 and verse 12 tells us of this. It says, he was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sins of many. 700, 750 years before he did it, he was numbered with the transgressors. Here he hung a rose between two thorns. Bearing away the sin of many. Listen to Matthew 27 and verse 44. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. All the reviling, the two thieves start to revile him from their very own crosses. Wouldn't you think they'd be more concerned about their own fate? Wouldn't you think they'd be more concerned about their own eternity? Numbered with the transgressors and now these thieves, they feel morally higher than our Savior. I know that. That's important. That these thieves would feel morally higher than the one in the center cross. Such degradation and what depravity. The depravity of these men, even when man is in his worst condition and in his vilest position, Hanging upon a cross, he feels better when he mudslings. When he mudslings back to the Savior and to make himself feel better, he starts to revile Christ. Do you know that's what men do today? To make themselves feel better in their own depravity, they start to revile Christ. They start to bring Christ down to gutter level of their own thinking. Yet they're the one who need to take care of our own eternal welfare. Here we have these men, they're mudslinging. They're like the dog returning to their own vomit. And the sow that was wise to her wallowing in the mire. These men start to mudsling toward Christ. But little did they realize, listen, little did they realize that they may have been at their lowest and their deepest of depravity to do that. But this, in their depravity, was the, was the highest pinnacle. This, in their depravity, was the highest pinnacle of the love of God. I want to say it again. This in the depravity of them, those men, the lowest of the low, sinking to even shout at our Lord and revile him from their own cross. Guilty before man and God. Yet them in their vilest of vile, here we have the pinnacle of the love of God. He took the low seat. He took the low seat. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of his father. He made himself of no reputation. And through the blood, the pain, the reviling, the mocking, and the soldiers watching, one thief suddenly, one thief from his own unchangeable state and depravity in his own strength, he catches a glimpse of Christ. 
he catches a glimpse of Christ. Lord, remember me, thou me, when thou comest into thy kingdom. Christ didn't even turn him away. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, eh, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's the mercy of God. That's the grace of God. That which we do not deserve. Thirdly, we have passing people. We have the passing people. Matthew 27 and verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Here we have the passing people. And they that passed by him reviled him. The word reviled here is the word blasphemo. It's where you get the word blasphemy from. And this is, this is important. So if you can try and just draw close to me here. The word here for reviled is blasphemo. It means to defame him. To show contempt toward him. To speak evil of him and profanity to him. In other words, they cursed at him. Foul language and they called him names. They swore at him. They blasphemed him. Notice what Peter, 1 Peter 2 and 23 says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says of the Lord, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. The word here for reviled is, is different. It's the word loidareo, and it means simply to heap abuse upon they heaped abuse upon him. They heaped abuse upon your Savior. They're walking by, heaping abuse on him. Blasphemy and cursing. One tells us of the nature and the other one tells us of the very uh, cursing that they done of him. They heaped it on him. Listen to what John Calvin writes on reviling. He says, it is a harsher railing which not only rebukes a man, but also sharply bites him and stamps him with open contumely. It is to wound a man with an accursed sting. They tried their hardest to wound Christ again in his bleeding state with an accursed sting from the tongue. He was reviled in public. Talk about public forums or forums online. He was reviled on a public, but he left it with God who would deal righteously and justly with it. People who air their dirty laundry in public are only showing how unclean their own houses. Now, did you hear that, brothers and sisters? I want to say it again. I want you to hear it. People who air their dirty laundry in public are only showing how unclean their own houses. If you go out in the laundries, hanging out in the lines the way it used to be, and none of them's been washed, and there's stains on them, maybe the children have went to the toilet in the middle of the night, or, or whatever has happened, and 
Maybe some big coal miner's been laying on about with the coal dust sticking all over it and it's stinking and you go, oh, look at the state of that. What must our house be like? But fresh laundry put out. Well, it's inviting, isn't it? Well, there's a B&B else to in. Earning your dirty laundry in public shows there's something wrong with your own house. And here he says to Judah, they started earning their dirty laundry in public. And when they earned their dirty laundry in public, it showed the depravity of these men. It showed the filthiness of their own house. And their temple was destroyed in AD 70. Lamentations 1 and 12 says, Is it nothing to you, all ye who pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger, where Yahweh has afflicted me. He says, Behold and see. Notice, is it nothing to you, all ye who pass by? And passing by, they reviled him. Lamentations, Jeremiah wrote that, and it must be around oh, 500 years before the coming of Christ. Speaking of the captivity of Judah, but through the spirit of prophecy. Here is the man. Is it nothing to you? That passed by the way. Actually, passed by, actually, as I said, the Hebrew is passed by the way. And listen, they were going to Jerusalem. This is Passover when Christ was crucified. They were going to Jerusalem. And going to Jerusalem, they were bringing their lamb to be sacrificed in their temple. And that was a, it was a dirty house. And they brought the lamb the sled and they passed by Christ on the road into Jerusalem. The Lamb of God, they missed him. I told you earlier, I'll show you, they missed him. They missed him. I trust there's no one's going to miss the Lamb of God. So now the you have passed by the way, Jesus said, John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here he hangs, stretched upon the tree, bleeding and dying in agony. And they walk past him. Walk past the last lamb to be sacrificed. We have next unholy union. The unholy union is found in verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others himself. He cannot save if he be the king of Israel. That will come down now from the cross and we will believe. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will save him for he said, I am the son of God. The word here for uh, mocking, the elders mocked him. Scribes, the Pharisees mocked him, his word, impizo. And it comes from two words. One is piezo. Listen to what it means. To play like a child. To play like a child. And the other word is en, for, and it makes up enpizo. And it means to sport or to jest. You know what the idea was? The chief priests and the elders got among themselves at the foot of his cross, and they started getting on like children who needed to grow up. That's the idea of it. <laughs> Do you remember he said? Look at him now. Let's make fun of him. Look at him. 
Let's make fun of him. He's the king of Israel. Look. He's the one who says he'll destroy a temple raised in three days. Look at him. And they all start talking. And the idea is they're talking between each other, not even to Christ. In fact, they just ignore him. He's treated like scum to them. And I want to tell you something. See, in their Talmudic teaching today, he's still called worse. I have to close. Thank you for your attention. It's been tremendous. The idea of their mocking is seen when the man who builds a foundation to build a tower can't finish it. <laughs> What's your man? He started to work and he can't finish it. Ha, ha, ha. You know, that's the idea of it. How worse can it get then from all of this around the cross? Well, here it is. Fifthly and lastly, you have a forsaking father. A forsaking father. That's your eye run down to verse 45. And now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. That is from 12 noon to 3 p.m., as we would call it, roughly about that time. Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See the word forsaken, it's the word encatalipo. And this word means to forsake, to abandon, to desert. On the cross, how worse can it get? Tell you how worse you can get when all those who are passing by and those who are mocking you and you're in agony and your soul is being offered up as a sin offering and you're stretched upon this tree, wounded and bruised from head to toe, front to back, left to right, up and down. You're saying, how worse can it get? You ever get one of those days and you say, Lord, how much more can you, how worse can it get? The Father forsakes you. Eloi. Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you deserted me, Father? Gives the idea of why have you abandoned me? You know why? Because when the Father looked at him, he saw you. And he saw me. He saw your sin. So mine, it was on him. And even his own son would not be in the presence of God with any sin. He had never experienced sin. He knew no sin. He did no sin. He was yet without sin, yet he became sin for us. He took our sin and the Father sees him. And he sees you and he sees me and all of our filthiness and depravity. And he sees it and he turns away from his only begotten. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Abandoned me and left me in straits, it means. Why have you left me in basically this God-forsaken place? He had never known separation from his, his father. The unity and the oneness of him. And he had never known this and experienced it. And he says, why have you forsaken me here? Gives the idea of someone who's terribly homesick. My father, why? Why, father? Because he saw every sinner. 
here's the good news. Because he saw your sin on him, when you come to Christ and you're saved and born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood, he saw your sin on him, now he sees his righteousness on us. His righteousness on us. He was forsaken that we would not be forsaken. That's why we could say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee to all those who are in Christ. So, therein ends my study of around the cross. I have a lot more material, but we'll do some, some other time on this. But here's some other little points just here. Jot them down and look at them when you go home. Verse 54, we have a converted centurion. Truly this was the son of God, he says. We've already seen the thief who came, but here's a converted centurion in verse 54. Verse 55, listen ladies, we see the wonderful women. There was women who were there the whole way. Many of the disciples ran away. The old cardly men, done a runner. But the women stayed on. There's something, more, there's something about women that have got greater guts than men. Except when you have man flu. Not right, Johnny. There's something about them. They're there. Then we have the marvelous Marys are there. I followed them all the way. And we even have, yes, daring disciples. Joseph of Arimathea goes and begs the body of Christ, watching him die. And John takes his mother onto him. Around the cross of Christ, I trust. This evening we've been there. We've seen him even in some small little way for his glory and honor. God bless you.